Hello, and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. We hope you're having a lovely start to your week. We're going to be sharing some wonderful stories and questions that you all have sent into us. Just as a reminder, if, if you ever want to share anything with us, you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com, or you can message us on Facebook. You can find us there by searching Enlightened Empaths. Denise, would you like to start us off? I would. Thank you. Hi, Denise and Samantha. I wanted to thank you both for your amazing podcast, Enlightened Empaths. I began listening last Friday and have been binging through the episodes like it's a crime series on Netflix. I laughed, cried, and had a million aha moments in the last four days. Today, I got a very nasty, cold message on a community board from someone I don't know after I asked an exercise program question. It was so hurtful. And instead of writing back, I decided a healthier option would be to go the higher route. That's when I decided to thank someone who has helped me. And I thought of you two lovely women. I think I'm a codependent, intuitive empath and have struggled with relationships with both family and boyfriends. You two have already enlightened me. Your podcasts are incredibly calming, insightful, and I feel like it really helping me to connect better to myself. You've given me a lot of food for thought. I just want to know you've helped a random lady out in Colorado. I'm still in 2018 of your podcast and looking forward to continuing through. Thank you. Have a beautiful week. Oh, that's a beautiful note. I know. I loved that. I responded to her personally, but I just really wanted to include this on today's show because I shared this with my kids at dinner time when I got it. I mean, Denise, is that not the... I just love this idea. And I, I told her I'm going to steal it. How yes. many of us have been, I know I'm on a lot of community pages and what I've noticed when people are asking a question, a simple question, like, Hey, where can I get the COVID vaccine? People will respond <laughs> with the most vicious things. And so now I'm noticing on these community boards, I follow people will say, please don't come at me. I'm seriously just trying to ask a question. Like they have to preface it. Right. And it makes me so sad. And I just love this idea of instead of writing back or responding in any way, she decided just to thank someone and, and kind of pay it forward in a positive way. I think if we all did that, what a perfect world it would be. And I love that she didn't internalize it and feel bad about herself and instead did something positive and proactive. Oh, that's such a perfect point. Yeah, exactly. So she's still in 2018, so she might not hear this for like two more years. <laughs> <laughs> but we just want to say thank you so much because it really, it really made our whole weeks. And I was just happy to be able to share it with my teenage girls because, you know, the stuff they experience on Snapchat and Instagram and stuff is very similar. And I just thought it was a lovely idea. And I, I just so grateful for her. Oh, I'm so glad she shared it with us. Our next one says, hello, ladies. I am starting my journey on really embracing my empathy. I work as a respiratory therapist, and I found that my hands will get really hot around people, coworkers, and patients, and I will have the urge to touch them to release the heat. I usually play it off and say, feel how hot my hands are so I can touch them without freaking them out. A pattern has emerged with the people that make my hands hot. They are usually anxious or especially sad. 
Can you help me better understand what is happening and possibly point me in a direction to better hone these abilities? Wow. Okay. To me, that is a sign of a natural healer. This is something I learned when I took all my Reiki classes. And then when I started teaching Reiki and I would share that story of the hot hands, at least 80% of the students would nod. That happens to me. That happens to me. So in my opinion and experience, this means that you are a natural healer. Your hands are getting hot because what's happening is if you think about our aura, it extends six feet around us. And that's every direction. That's in front, behind, left, right, above our head, below our feet. And that aura is bumping up against everyone else's auras. And our auras are like little feelers. I always think about that, those little, um, what's that little cleaner, Denise? Do you remember the old commercial and the little bubbles would come out? And oh, they'd scrubbing all, bubbles. Scrubbing bubbles. Okay. That's how I always think about our aura. Like there's these little scrubbing bubbles on the edges of our aura when we're natural healers. And we're constantly feeling everyone else's auras and trying to clean them and help them and engage with them. And so when we bump up against someone who is feeling sad, who is feeling anxious or worried or dealing with grief, our little scrubbing bubbles on the edges of our aura, they start going to town and they're like, "Ooh, here's a good job for us. We got to clean this. And so then we intuitively, naturally, subconsciously pull in so much more light from the universal forces. And that's what's pouring into you and spilling down your arms and out your hands. And that's why your hands are heating up because they're getting ready to do the work you came here to do. One thing I would recommend is Barbara Brennan's book, Hands. Um, is it called Hands of Light or Hands That Heal? Um, I am drawing a blank on that right now. but I'm going to have can... to Google it in a minute. Um, but I have volume one and volume two. It's the type of book I look to again and again and again. You know those books where you can read it once and go, wow, that was amazing. And then you read it again and you find 15 different things you didn't notice the first time. It's yes. just the best primer for healers that I've come across. I uh, would love to hear from you guys if you have other primers that work just as well. And then I would recommend that she check out a healing modality. Of course, I'm going to recommend Reiki because that's my favorite. But if you're a respiratory therapist and you're working in a healing field like a hospital, I would really recommend you, you check out Healing Touch as well. I know a lot of nurses do that. There are courses all over the country. And that is just a fantastic way to work with your healing abilities, especially in a medical community. Most hospitals that I've encountered have a volunteer group. I know when um, my former husband was, he was in a coma for a month and the nurses told me about a group of volunteers. I think most of them were nurses and they were all healing touch practitioners and I'm telling you, when they came into that hospital room each day, I always asked if I could stay. And they were nice and said I could. The entire room filled with peace and love. I've never felt anything so potent in my life. And it's one of the healing modalities that's on my bucket list. I really want to learn it. Um, if you feel overwhelmed by that, like, I don't want to learn Reiki. I don't have time to get certified in healing touch then at least start with your chakras and start to learn how to work with your chakras, how to open them, how to close them, how to clean them. Read some books like Judith Anodea's book, The Wheels of Light on chakra work and start to understand your energy because 
I, I just think you have a lot of beautiful work ahead of you. I'd like to add one thing is there's this amazing, amazing woman, Meredith Kendall, who wrote a book, uh, a kind of a personal account, Reiki nurse. And she was very instrumental in starting a Reiki program at the Patrick Dempsey Cancer Center here in Maine. She also wrote a second book, My Hot Hands. And, and we talked about that a lot. We used to talk about that a lot that she would say true healers, exactly what you just said. They'll, they'll feel that energy coming through and they'll feel their hands. And those might be two other resources people might be interested in. Oh, we should have her on the show. She, she's amazing. She's very kind, incredibly in the zone. And she's actually the person who attuned me to Reiki. Oh, I found the book title. It's called Hands of Light, A Guide to Healing Through the Human Energy Field by Barbara Brennan. And then the other one I have is Light Emerging, The Journey of Personal Healing. Those sound like good reference books for all of us to have. Yeah, they're excellent. Okay. So our next one, I'm 54 and semi-retired. I'd like to learn how to connect with my crystals for my highest good, work on my intuition, and maybe one day connect with my spirit guide, guardian angel, and my mother, who I lost two years ago and missed so very much. I have a strong faith as a Lutheran. This year, I found a podcast called Bible in a Year. I've never read the whole Bible and thought this would be a great way to do so. Daily, the chapters are read by a Catholic priest who's great to listen to. He then does an overview after each reading. I really enjoy it and feel good about it. Today, he read about Saul in 1 Samuel when he went to see a medium because he hadn't heard from God. In some of his commentary after the reading, he said astrology, palmistry, tarot, use of mediums, any of these things you need to get rid of, stay away from, they're dangerous. Get yourself to confession because it's placing your eternal soul in jeopardy. And if someone says they've got healing from this or that, that healing came from the wrong source. These practices go against and seriously violate the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They contradict and take away respect and honor from our Lord. He said, you don't have to be scared. God conquers all, but just repent and don't have anything to do with these practices. Technically, he didn't mention anything, mention or say anything about crystals, but I'm thinking he probably is including them. And here I am just starting my classes and feeling good about crystals. I'm extremely sensitive and this has made me feel really bad and guilty. Like, what do you think you're doing? Crystals are from the earth and mentioned lots of times in the Bible. I feel they add to the peace Jesus gives me. And of course, they do not, will not replace Jesus in any way. Crystals just feel like an added bonus. Samantha, you mentioned once about a priest who had asked you about your spiritual gifts, and he said, as long as God is at the center of all you do, you're okay. I just wanted to write to ask you, if you could, for some reassuring words or any thoughts, just hoping you could maybe help me feel a little better. Samantha and Denise, I feel you radiate light, kindness, love, peace, and positivity. Many thanks for your time and God bless you. You and I have talked about this many, many times. We've both gone through our own, so to speak, dark night of the soul, questioning our faith or what we were brought up with, what we were taught. Is there something wrong with me because I can feel and sense and, and connect? My personal belief in my soul is God would not have made me this way if he didn't want me to use these gifts in his name. I'm very spiritual. I'm very connected to spirit. I also think, why would God why would God put these crystals on the earth, or why would the earth produce these crystals if they weren't here to help us on our path? 
because the vibration of each is so unique. Some of you know as well that I'm very, I honor the sacredness of nature, of Mother Earth, of all that is in that direction as well. And I personally think we combine the both. I don't feel the need to defend that anymore, which is really cool. It is really cool. And I think it comes with a lot of time and inner reflection and experience. And I think it's um, something, like you said, it's a personal come to Jesus moment. I think you have to have. I understand where this priest is coming from. He's doing what he was taught to do. And I don't, you know, I, I think he has a beautiful, wonderful podcast that is helping so many people. But, you know, I think about there's a quote from Matthew that, of course, I had to Google because I am a Catholic and we don't memorize our Bible. But it's, it's where Jesus, um, I think it's Jesus, is saying, every, uh, even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. I have thought about that a lot through the years of doing this work, Denise, because remember that friend I had that I lost? Um mm -hmm when I came out of my psychic closet and she said, you know, this is the devil working through you. And I said to her, but so much healing has come through the work I have done. Like I could show you the letters and cards and emails I've gotten through the years. My work is really helping people. And, and she said, Oh, that's, that's how the devil works. He works slowly. Well, you know, now almost 20 years later, Denise, I'm thinking that devil's a slow little sucker. Cause <laughs> There's still good fruit coming from this tree. And so I think you have to look at the work that comes out of being an intuitive, being on the spiritually awakened path of working with crystals. And for Denise and I, and for everyone else, I know only good has come from working with crystals. I'd like to add to that. The, the Bible is, I see it for, if that you, you nailed it a minute ago when you said, the, the priest who's doing that show, that's his belief system. So he's going to honor that. If that's your faith, if that's what you believe, please, please step into that and honor it as in every way possible. But I, I also think if you follow the Torah, if you read the Torah, the Quran, any other religious text that feeds your soul and gives you a strong connection to divine, I have to say each is a pathway to all that is in source. Yes, I agree. It's just hard, Denise, for people like this listener and me who crave that sense of community and connection. It's really hard to be told, mm, yeah, but you don't fit in here. You know, like right. before I came out of the psychic closet, I was a member of the Mother's Morning Prayer Group. We met every Thursday. I was a member of the Rosary Making Group, and I loved doing that Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., I was so involved in my church and I felt so happy. And then when I started doing this work and realized, you know, I don't really fit in there anymore. I kind of pulled back. I have a really good friend who's a lesbian and she grew up in the Catholic church as well. And, and she kept trying to go to church with all of us still. And she said, I, I just don't fit in there anymore. And, you know, sometimes we talk about it and, and she's cried about, you know, oh. missing the sacraments, missing that sense of community and connection. And she has found another church. There's something different. You know, this listener is Lutheran and, 
And she joked earlier on in her email that it's very similar to Catholicism because it is. There's something different about, I don't know, cradle Catholics. We are very married to the, the sacraments, to the tradition, to the, the sense of familiarity in the ritual that's repeated every single Sunday. And to switch churches, yeah, you can do that, but it's it's just never the same. And it it just makes me sad that you know, my church, I don't know about the Lutheran church, but my church is riddled with so many uh, disgusting problems and such a terrible, awful history. And, and so much that I'm proud of too in that history, you know, I mean, where would, where would we be without Catholic social ministries? Where would we be without the hardworking nuns who are constantly teaching and uplifting and providing such a wonderful source of solace and comfort. Where would I be without my favorite teacher from middle school, Sister Catherine? So there's so much good, but there's also so much bad. And I just wish that they would uh, accept more of this. I wish they wouldn't come down so hard on some of these lines. find it heartbreaking. But I would tell this listener, keep listening to this lovely priest. It's bringing you uh, spiritual food and nourishment. But as anything, if you listen to Denise and me, if anything you listen to or read, I think it's so important in life. You don't have to go all in. You can right. take what works for you, what grows you, what comforts you, and then you can leave what doesn't resonate with you. And, and why people don't see that when they study the Bible, like this is what pisses me off, Denise. Okay, so if you know mediums are bad, which by the way, everyone Google Jerome, St. Jerome translating the Bible, and learn how he turned the word poisoner into witch. So just oh. do some history on how the Bible has been translated. I think that's going to be really eye-opening. But also, if we're going to accept this fact that, you know, we can't consult mediums or look at cards or, you know, all of that, then if you're going to follow that, shouldn't you follow all the other rules? And, and shouldn't men be walking around with beards and no one be walking around with cross fibers in their wool coat? And shouldn't we be stoning adulterers still? Like why, why can some people cherry pick what they want from the Bible, but others can't? Very good point. I'll stop talking now, but it's just, <laughs> okay. No, no, but it's a very, this comes up for a lot of, of listeners, a lot of people. It's a, it's a conflict. It's a, it's an internal struggle to align with the way we may have come onto the planet and what we're being told is right or wrong. And that covers topics outside of, of religion as well. Yeah, I agree. All right. Our next question says, a couple of weeks ago, I sat in meditation and spoke to my deceased father with whom I had a very strained and fearful relationship. I told him that I know he loved me despite the events that made me fearful during his living years. Then I asked if he would show me a boat if he's still with me, since we spent a lot of time on boats during my childhood. As the meditation came to a close, tears flowed and I felt warm connection with him. Since it was asking a lot to see a boat as I don't live near the ocean, I told him it could be done in a humorous or silly way. Later that evening, I was walking my dog in my neighborhood and a neighbor was towing a speedboat to show his wife his new toy. She was laughing and shouting to the other neighbors, look at my husband's new toy, it's a boat. So thank you for prompting me to ask for signs. And that's from Donna. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> I love that. And from a lot of people I'm talking to, 
things are manifesting fast right now. Like people are asking for feedback and signs. And it's like, bam, there it is. That's true. Everything seems to be speeding up. I can't believe we're already into June. Okay. And also, I love, love, love that she got that warm connection with her dad because you can always do the healing that needs to happen. Yes. You know, I want to do a separate show on this, Denise, if you're open to it, because in my May newsletter, I, I wrote a lot about my personal conflict with my difficult relationship with my mom. And I received so many wonderful, beautiful emails in response to that. And many of them said, my mom and I had a very difficult relationship. She's now passed on. However, our relationship is fantastic now. And, and they shared about having dream visits where they got to hug their mom or having meditation experiences where their mom asked for forgiveness. And it's just a comforting, wonderful reminder that you can continue to heal and connect and forgive and understand and grow, even if your loved one has passed on. Yes. Yes. And it could be part of that soul contract that you would do that after they passed. Also, it sends healing back to them as well as helping yourself. Excellent point. Yeah, so true. So our next one. Hi, Samantha and Denise. I've been learning to embrace my sensitive and empathic nature, doing a great part to the wonderful podcast you put out each week. I can't thank you enough. Just this week, I found it necessary to set a boundary with a family member, and the blowback was astonishing. Perhaps because I'm new at setting boundaries and may not be all that skilled at it, I was unprepared for the attack. I need not go into too much detail. Somehow, I feel you both understand what I'm talking about, but I've been left shaken by the experience. Many cruel and unkind things were hurled at me, and for the most part, I've been able to see it as a defensive reaction it is. There were a lot of you always and everything you thrown at me. I'm glad to say I did not apologize for being sensitive. But as I say, I do feel shaken by the level of vitriol. Perhaps I was naive to be unprepared for it. I know I didn't do anything wrong. I wasn't abusive or unkind. I know you both have experienced setting boundaries and caring for yourselves in the, in the course of your awakening spirituality and empathic natures. Have you encountered situations like this? Sadly, yes. And it seems that, but on a good note, they're much fewer and further between than they used to be. We have a wonderful guest, Terry Cole, who has written a book, Boundary Boss. She's an amazing author and person, but her book is incredible for boundary issues. My feeling from this, this note was, as much as it hurt, congratulations on not apologizing for being sensitive. That's a beautiful, beautiful step in taking back your power and accepting yourself for just the way you are. And I think that's a great recommendation, that book. And, you know, this is what happens when everyone in a situation has their label and they know to go along to get along. And then suddenly you change that whole dynamic. People freak out and it's not pleasant. It's not easy. And I think it's, uh, brave of our of our dear listener to respond the way she did. I've been working hard at setting boundaries and I'm getting better at it, but I think it's an ongoing process. It's never easy. The pushback is always hard. 
And the lingering feelings of, did I do the right thing? Should I have just, you know, went along to get along? As I said, it, it stays with you and you just have to, you have to really stay strong and keep that boundary foremost in the front of your head and think, okay, this is what's more important to me. The way I look at it when I'm setting a boundary with someone is if I don't set this boundary, nothing's going to change. And when you're setting a boundary, what you're seeking is positive change. So it's not easy. And and my heart goes out to you, but you're doing the right thing and you're doing the good work. And eventually they're going, they're going to change. Deb has a lovely metaphor she often uses. She says, think about a hanging mobile. Mobile, mobile, I never know how to say that. Go over a baby's crib. And if you hit one of those things dangling from that mobile, every other thing dangling has to move. So whenever we change, it means the people around us have to change and they don't like that. Very few people like change. So you're going to get that pushback. But if you can look at it from a spiritual point of view, that's a really positive sign that they're reacting that way because it means your boundaries working. Excellent point. Very well said. All right. Our next one says, I have a question for the soul community. I have been listening to you both for years and thank you for all you've done in my life and for the lives of so many that listen to your show. Well, thank you very much. My mom was recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's. We had thought it was part of a dementia due to an infection and several weeks in the hospital. However, when she continued to have a decline in her cognitive function, we knew it was worse. It seems as if the infection set off a chain reaction in her body, and now the diagnosis has hit us all like a ton of bricks. It has progressed so quickly. Unfortunately, I am also an NP, and I am aware of what is to come for her. I recently went to see her over Mother's Day weekend, and I noticed that much of her day is spent in this fog of her brain. She stares out the window looking at the birds in the feeder and seems to get lost. A year ago, she was a different person completely, a very tough, strict German mother who had also been a Benedictine nun for 17 years before leaving the convent. Now her quilting room is full of unfinished projects. I was talking with my aunt who came over as well, and she told me that there was a very respected Catholic priest, Father Michael, who was very spiritual. He taught many classes on spirituality and my parents had attended his courses. He also believed in reincarnation, although he would never admit it. Long story short, too late. His secretary, who worked for him for years, had developed Alzheimer's too. My aunt asked him about this, and he said that she was living her purgatory here on earth. I'm wondering your thoughts on such, on such diseases where the mind seems to be somewhere on another plane, but also fluctuates between here and there. I know that her disease is teaching me many things that are part of my journey, and I believe that this Alzheimer's is part of hers, but I do wonder where she goes so often and how I can help her. This, of course, is not something that is taught in the textbooks in nursing school. Well, isn't that the truth? Okay, so I kind of have a lot to say about this, Denise, so feel free to cut me off if I babble. Okay. (laughs) But uh, I've told this story many, many times on the show, so I'll tell it very quickly. But I remember years ago, sitting in my office, an older woman came to see me, and I started connecting her to her husband, and she was nodding to everything I said. It was one of the clearest readings I've done. It was just like he was standing right next to her. And in my head, I'm thinking, look at you go, like move over, John Holland. It was 
a great, accurate reading. And when I finished, very pleased with myself, I said, I hope that was helpful. And she said, it was. Everything you said was true about my husband, except he's very much alive. And I said, oh, I freaked out in my head. I'm like, well, who the hell was I connecting with? And she said, but he has um, stage four Alzheimer's. So I haven't been able to communicate with him in years. So this was a gift. It was very helpful. Well, when I went home and I meditated, I asked my guides, like, what happened? Was I connecting with him? Was I connecting with his higher self? Was I connecting with maybe his his father on the other side? Like, who was talking to me and showing me all those, all those intimate details about their life? And my guide said, no, it was him. And he showed me a, a, an image of this man with one foot on the other side and one foot here. And so I've since learned that often when we have Alzheimer's, it is as though parts of us are on the other side and parts of us are here. And when our listener mentioned, you know, how Father Michael said he's doing his purgatory here on earth, that really uh, struck me because I've thought about that a lot. My, my dad is in stage four Alzheimer's right now, and so he's not really able to communicate but months ago, I had this profound interaction with him that I recorded, and I'm so glad I had the sense of mind to hit the record button on my phone. But he told me that every night when he goes to bed, a staircase appears in his room, and he goes to the other side, and he's, he's shown aspects of his life that he doesn't want to see. And he says he doesn't like it. And he said, I'm always there with him. And he said, the big shot is always there. And he said, the big shot doesn't like me. Now, my dad is like the most likable person you could ever meet. You should see the nurses at the nursing home where he's at. They are, every time I see them, they're like, your dad is the nicest man I've ever met. He's so easy to take care of. That's just always been my dad. He's just super kind. And so I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you mean he doesn't like you? Everyone likes you. And he says, no, he's mad at me because I'm, I'm resisting looking at my life. And I remember he said, I stopped listening to myself when I was 18 and I split into two. And I said, what do you, what do you mean you split into two? Like, you know, what does that mean? And he said, I stopped listening to the, the better me. And I said, you mean like your higher self? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's it. And I said, is that when you started drinking? And he said, yeah, that is when I started drinking. And it just, Denise, I've thought about this conversation. It went on for about over 30 minutes. And he kept saying, I remember him saying, money, 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 money. And I said, what, what do you mean, dad? And he said, all I thought about was money. And it's true. Like All my dad did was work. That's all he did. He worked. He, every time he got promoted, he'd move us across the country, which pissed me off. But all he thought about was providing for his family and making money and making money and investing and all, all that. It's all he cared about. That was his mark of success. And he did make money and he was successful. But I feel like now, I wouldn't say my dad's in purgatory, but I don't know, thinking about him sitting in that nursing home, staring out his own window. Yeah, that's kind of a really interesting I'm going to have to think about that. But I do think that he's doing aspects of his life review now. And I wonder if people in Alzheimer's, and I don't mean all people, but I do mean my father, he's such a kind man. And 
I think the way he was able to be so kind and gentle and loving to everyone else is by pushing any of his needs down, you know? And I wonder if now that he's in Alzheimer's and this big shot, who I think is his guide, is coming to him at night and showing him aspects from his life that he hasn't wanted to look at, you know, like, why did you choose money over time with your family? Why did you choose this job and make your family move all these times for success? I don't think he wants to look at that. He just, he would prefer to just smile and be kind and get along with everyone. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. It makes absolutely perfect sense. And, you know, as a medium, people who are in later stages of, of Alzheimer's, dementia, severe cognitive um, dysfunction will often feel like exactly the same. Not often, they generally feel exactly the same to me as people who have passed on an energetic level. And I, I do. I think they spend time on both sides. I think when they say, my Aunt Mary came and saw me today, they're seeing Aunt Mary because they're on that side with them. I, I believe that in my heart to be true. Yeah. And I think there's like a, a refusal in a way for the soul to pass over. I did another reading for a woman and I remember her mother came through and I told her and she said, my mom's still here, but she has Alzheimer's. And I saw the number 81 and I said, is she 81? And she said, no, she's 85. And I, and I said, I think she was supposed to pass at 81. And it's like she's holding on. And so when I tuned into the mother's energy, I saw this image of a woman with her arms crossed. And she said, I took care of everyone my whole life. All of my children, my mother, my mother-in-law, my husband, now it's their turn. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be taken care of. Oh my. Yeah. It was really interesting. And I just got this sense that she was hanging around, even though her soul was contracted to go over four years before because she was going to be taken care of. Sounds like she got what she was looking for. What do you think about that idea of purgatory on, on earth? I, I do think it's a living hell. I, yeah. I think for the person trapped in that space and, and it's that tipping point when people, and we've, we've both seen it with people we care about very deeply when that tipping point comes where they are, the fear sets in of the reality of what's happening and then they step over that line and they don't come back. And years and years and years ago, I worked night shift in a nursing home. And this was back when I was in college and I would work during the day, sleep a few hours and then work night shift 11 to seven in this nursing home. And this was before regulations and all the things that have been put in place. And that was the heart, by far the hardest job I've ever had in my life because it was seeing these people who had lived these vibrant, exciting, loving, kind lives, and they couldn't communicate. And you could look in their eyes and you could see that they were still in there, but that they weren't able to express themselves. And it was just that, that the dignity piece of, and I think if we do have someone in our life who is struggling with that, helping them to maintain their dignity, often when I bring someone through who has passed, I mean, as a medium, when I connect with someone who has, that's one of the first things that they'll say is, thank you, thank you, thank you for helping me 
keep my dignity as much as I could. Wow. That's beautiful. But you know, yeah. they, they do tend to hold on. And I find that fascinating before my dad lost most of his speech. I said to him, you know, dad, if, if, if it's your time to go, we're okay with that. And, and we will always honor you and be here for you. And, and I will hold your hand and, I was just going on and on trying to tell him it was okay to leave because I knew he had such a, like a, I'm going to protect this family mentality that I knew he'd hold on. And he said, oh no, I love waking up in the morning. I never know what's going to happen. And this is at a time when his life involved waking up at my sister's house, walking 12 feet out into the living room and sitting down in front of the TV all day. And he was like, oh my he said, I love it. I never know who's going to visit me. I look forward to dinner. I'm not going anywhere. And I was like, okay, got wow. it. Your dad's lucky to have you and your sisters to be there for him. That's, that's a beautiful gift for him as well. Well, for this listener, it's, it is a gift, but it's also uh, one of the most challenging things I've ever had to witness. And so my heart goes out to you and your mother, and and I will just keep you in my prayers. There is that adorable book my friend Joel gave me about the cat. Oh gosh, why can I not remember names this hour? But about the cat in the Alzheimer's home and how he helped so many people. Oh yes, yeah. Oscar, Oscar the cat. Anyway, she might want to check that out. It's super comforting. But uh, really, there's very, to me, there's very few resources of comfort when you're going through this. You just have to be strong and hold space for your parent and show up for them. And be gentle with yourself as well. Yes. Uh, Our next one. I bought tarot cards the other day and tried using them last night after putting them in a bowl with sage for about 15 minutes. When I used the cards afterwards, I asked something to the effect of how will my upcoming wedding and marriage go? And I drew the 10 of swords. I can't remember if it was drawn upside down and I flipped it. This caused me great concern and anxiety. I was wondering how accurate tarot cards are with self-readings. I'm concerned that I drew the card and can't stop thinking about it. Uh, That's why always, always, always with tarot cards, with any form of divination, psychic, intuition, always subject to change and free will. It's the energy around you exactly in this moment. And any variables, your your free will is the hugest variable. But tens are about transition, and the tens of, ten of swords is very much about surrender. And I think that there is a surrender if you're going to commit to someone in a marriage ceremony. But please, please, and self readings uh, are there. I think it's harder to read for yourself than for someone else because you, it's hard to keep the objectivity, but also your own emotional desire gets in the way or fears or anxieties. Yeah, I agree. And also when you get a new deck of tarot, to me, there's a lot you have to do before you do that first reading beyond putting it in some sage. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to touch every card at least once before you do the first reading. I think it's important to really pray over those cards and ask that your highest guides surround those cards. I think it's crucial that you have a mantra or prayer that you say before each and every reading you do. Uh, 
And I've also learned since I hate the reverse cards, I know they're important and you have to include them, but I still, I don't like seeing a reverse card. And what I learned about myself, because I'm left-handed, but I always, I don't know why, I always turn the cards with my right hand. So I've, I've noticed sometimes I'll flip the card and then sometimes I'll turn it left to right. Do you know what I mean, Denise? Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've had to school myself in being consistent with that because how are my guides supposed to know how to turn up a reverse card for me if I'm sometimes flipping it and sometimes turning it left to right? So I've practiced myself now. I do not flip the card. I turn it left to right as I, as I turn them over. And then I get more consistent readings. Also, the Ten of Swords in a marriage card is not as scary as, say, the Three of Swords, right? That one I'd be a little concerned about. The Ten of Swords card could be exactly what Denise was saying. It's a surrender. But also, I don't know. Did you feel this way when you, on your wedding day? I remember, I remember kind of mourning Samantha Owen. I remember like when I went to the Social Security office and I got my name changed. I just remember feeling kind of sad, like that person will never be here again. I'm a new person. I had a very different wedding experience that would probably be the polar opposite of what you did. So I'm not going there right now. No, I don't mean like the the wedding party. I just mean the act of it. Like, didn't, did you feel like it's a huge transition? Huge. And and it is, it, it is an ending of one chapter of your life where Never again will it just be about you. And that's exciting and scary. And so that I just would say to her, try working with the cards more intimately before doing a reading. Create a mantra or prayer where you say only messages from my highest good and from universal sources of love, light, and healing can come through. You know, mark the boundary and then do it again. And we wish you all the best of luck in your upcoming wedding festivities. Oh, very, very much so. And one last thing, if you, intuitive tarot, you're able to use the cards as a jumping off point. So you may say, use the 10 of swords, give that little blurb, and then see what comes through intuitively. Pay attention to how your body reacts. See if you get, if it triggers some other thought pattern because they can be beautiful, beautiful for, to, to use the cards in that way. Also, reversals can just be the blocked energy. So that comes up a lot in the, the tarot class when I work with students is that reversals are very frustrating and they're yeah. hard to understand. So I agree with everything you said about getting to know your deck, honoring them and, and making it a, a practice, not just a parlor game. Well, and did she say where the Ten of Swords appeared? Mm, she just said she drew the Ten of Swords. Well, see, then that's a whole nother discussion that we don't have time to go into. <laughs> that's true, because what with the, it's almost like reading the contextual clues in a book. Yeah. I mean, if it came in the past, that would mean something. If it came that second to last card in the Celtic cross spread that shows like what's blocking you or your, you know, your greatest hope, your greatest fear. Mm-hmm. If it was there, that's something. To, I mean, so it depends on where it showed up to. So anyway, don't panic. Enjoy your wedding. Have a wonderful celebration. Okay. Our last question says, I was having a hard time sleeping recently, so I decided to try out Samantha's suggestion of praying for someone in need of a prayer. Rather than praying for someone specific, 
I started praying more generally for anyone who was in need of a prayer. I just kept repeating over and over that whoever was in need of healing or help in any way, that they would be blessed and healed. I woke up several times in the night, and each time I was able to fall back asleep by praying and sending healing to anyone who needed it. This was the first time I had tried this, and it proved to be very effective. When I woke up in the morning, I was in the kitchen getting ready for work. My roommate came out of her room and said, Rachel, I just had the most spiritually healing and powerful dreams last night. She started tearing up and talked about how she felt like so much profound spiritual healing was happening to her on a deep energetic level, and that all of these beings were coming to her to help. What are the odds that on the exact same night I was trying out praying for someone else for the first time as a method for helping me sleep, that she had such a profound dream? I wonder if some of my prayers helped her with her healing. Either way, it was a special synchronicity. Sometimes I forget that prayers do make a difference. But whether it was my prayers or someone else's, I feel like this was a sign that sending love out into the world has a profound impact in ways that we can't even begin to comprehend or imagine. Blessings and thanks so much for all of your work. I've been a fan of your show for many years, and listening to you all always lifts my spirits. Love and light from Denver, Colorado. Wow. I love that story. That's a beautiful story. I mean, really, what are the odds? You know, what are the odds? And so this is such a great reminder that not only are we doing spiritual, impactful work during our sleep time, but also that prayer truly does work and it has an impact. And she didn't, she wasn't saying like, oh, I pray that my roommate has this, you know, healing. She was just sending out prayerful energy to anyone that needed it. That's what we need to do more of instead of the, the fear-based, the anxiety, the biggies, gratitude, kindness, healing. Let's do more of that. Let's do more of that. I know. You know, I was just doing um, research on the power of prayer for something I'm writing. And I just want to read this one thing that I came up through my research. Dr. Wayne Jonas and Cindy C. Crawford, they looked at 2,000 published studies on the power of prayer. So I didn't even know there had been 2,000 published studies on prayer. Mm-hmm. And what they concluded is that, quote, there is evidence to suggest that mind and matter interact in a way that is consistent with the assumptions of distant healing. Mental intention has effects on non-living random systems and may have effects on living systems. And then Dr. Larry Dossey, who's written so many great books on this, if you are interested in the power of prayer, check out his book, Healing Words, The Power of Prayer. He says, if only a single one of these studies is valid, then a non-local dimension of consciousness definitely exists. Wow. So think about that. Non-local dimension of consciousness. So when we send out a prayer to anyone, to any animal, to any aspect of earth, to, to ourselves, to, uh, and don't forget, my, my, my big advice to people always as well is to pray for your angels and guides. God knows my angels and guides need prayer, so pray to mine. <laughs> <laughs> but don't forget to thank them and pray for them as well, because they're doing a lot of hard work too. And prayers for our loved ones in heaven help tremendously. Anytime we send out that energy, it definitely works. And our listeners' dream story exemplifies that. And, you know, 2,000 plus studies have proven that too. Yes, more of that. 
<laughs> More of that. <laughs> yes. That's that's incredible that there's been that many studies published on this. It's wonderful. I know. It's so it's so exciting to read the studies, some of them too, because they have shown that they've done it in many, many different ways. Like they've told people, hey, you're being prayed for. And then they've had another group where they're not told they're prayed for. And every study again and again and again shows it doesn't matter if they know they're being prayed for or they don't know they're being prayed for. The impact on the result of their surgery is um, statistically better when they're prayed for. Wow. So, because a lot of people were thinking, well, that's just the placebo effect. You know, you're going in for heart surgery and you're told, oh, 100 people in this project are praying for you. You're going to manifest better healing results. But no, the studies have shown even if they don't know they're being prayed for, they have better results. It's incredible. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing your wonderful and inspiring questions and stories. We'd love to hear from you. So just again, as another reminder, you can always email us enlightenedempaths at gmail, or you can find us on Facebook at Enlightened Empaths. If you enjoy our show, please take a moment to rate us and leave a kind review on iTunes or tell a friend to join our community. And please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.